That brings us to the next section, the second missionary journey. In this section, Luke covers Paul's missions from 84, sorry, 48 to 49 AD to the area of Galatia and Asia Minor. Paul continued to go to the first Jews, continued to go to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. The opposition from the Jews continues to increase as Gentiles' acceptance of Jesus continues to grow. There is a sense in which Luke, for the rest of Acts, will compress the whole of the church's missionary work into the story of Pauline mission, for Peter and the apostles basically disappear after this point, except when they intersect the story of Paul's work. Now, in the very first part of this missionary journey, the first half, it will be largely going back to the very same cities of the first missionary journey and reinforcing and strengthening them and making sure things are covered. Instead of sailing across the Mediterranean to Cyprus and then up the southern coast into Turkey and going through there and coming back, this time Paul will make his journey by walking up the coast of the Mediterranean and then across the northern part and then moving across Turkey and then crossing the, the Aegean Sea there in that part and then looping back through Greece and what was known as Macedonia and then Greece and um, Acacia and that kind of stuff and then sailing back to, to Ephesus then back down again. So this is going to be largely a walking journey in a lot of way. Um, there will be a little bit boats here and there and that kind of stuff and you can follow the map as we go along. Chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every town where we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to bring John, called Mark, along with them too. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this one who had left them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the works, the work. They had a sharp disagreement, so that they parted company, and Barnabas took along Mark and sailed away from Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers and sisters. He passed through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, we already talked about this when John left them earlier. But basically, they have a disagreement. John had abandoned them earlier in the first missionary journey after they immediately got into the coast. We don't know why, um, but he goes back. Paul's not okay with this. Don't know how Barnabas felt, but Paul's not willing to give him another chance. Barnabas is. And we talked about that we don't know who's right and who's wrong. We don't know whether John Mark was just young and made a mistake and Paul's being unrealistic and harsh or that John Mark was being a punk and really did mess things up and doesn't seem to have a truly repentant heart, and Barnabas is being naive and easily misled, and we don't know. Or they could be both bright in some kind of a sense and just seem different. And the sharp disagreement, once again, means that they were very committed to what they were arguing. But it doesn't say they were yelling and screaming and, like, going to blows. And so they can't agree. And like I mentioned earlier, in my great ignorance of what is happening I can't help but still lean towards Barnabas because I just feel like that's right that's exactly what Paul's been preaching is grace and second chances and compassion and and and, and John made a mistake and whatever the mistake is I mean can't it's not like he's going around burning churches down and leaving like whatever it was you can't still he wants to go with you this time give him another chance if he goes back home again okay 
So it's frustrating. It's annoying. But, but despite that, God uses it because God has now multiplied the missionary journeys and sent them different places. And notice that they go to Cyprus, which is where they've been before. And then Paul goes back to where he's been before. And so, like I said, this is about, it literally says, strengthening the churches that already exist. In fact, many of the churches that Paul will go new for him in this missionary church journey have already been established by somebody somewhere. Even a lot of this trip, even though it's new for him, will still be strengthening churches that are already there. Chapter 16, verse 1. So Paul takes Silas. He also came to Derby to Lystra. A disciple named Timothy was there, the son of the Jewish woman who was a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the towns, they passed on the decrees that went that had been decided on by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and for the Gentile believers to obey. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number every day. So now there's a younger man, we don't know how young, Timothy, who will eventually become the pastor of the church, a church, and then the letters of Timothy will be written to him. And he begins to travel with them as an assistant. He has a Greek and a Jewish parent. And Paul circumcises them. There are a lot of scholars who have a hard time with this. They think this is not the Paul of the letters. They believe they're different because Paul is like, no, you do not have to be circumcised. This is putting people under a burden. And, and th- this is not. But here's the problem with that. First, Timothy was part Jewish. He wasn't forcing a Gentile under circumcision because he was requiring that. Timothy is already Jewish. And in fact, yeah, you're like, well, he's part Jewish. At this point, every Jew is part Jewish, genetically speaking, because of all the exiles and all that kind of stuff. So he's part Jewish. And that that makes it more reasonable. Second, there's no evidence that Paul was against Jewish Christian practicing of the ancestral religion or rituals as long as they understood that doing so was not necessary for salvation, either for them or the Gentiles. Paul wasn't forbidding circumcision. He wasn't saying that this was ungodly or immoral or wrong or or that if you automatically did it, you were... What he was saying is that you're not allowed to make that a requirement for salvation. You're not allowed to make it a requirement of accepting the gospel. His argument was that you couldn't do it. Like, right? You could do that with anything. Well, eating apples is not required for salvation, so you should never eat apples, right? I mean, that's true of everything in the entire world. So Paul never argued against being able to do it. Like, yeah, you want to do that? That's fine. There's hygiene involved in it. Do it. You, you want to honor the traditions? Fine. Do it. Just know that that's not required for salvation. And don't put that on anybody else. Third, Paul's freedom allowed him to become a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentile. He says, to the Jews I'm a Jew and to the Gentile I'm a Gentile. I will become within reason of not compromising my faith and becoming something other than what God wants me to do. But culturally, neutrally speaking, 
I will become what they want to be. If I go to China and they want me to put on a Komodo, I'll do it. If I go to another country and they want me to leave my shoes outside the house, I'll do it. If I go to another country and they want me to like just do something with a candle or whatever, I'll do it, right? Like, why would I refuse to do that and offend them and then not be able to share the gospel? And I'll, I'll do this. Timothy is already Jewish. Timothy is already saved. Timothy is going to go with Paul to the Jews first and to the Gentiles. And he's going to be a Jewish man who's going to talk to Jewish people. And Paul just wants to remove any obstacle. He's not going to Jewish Christians and trying to get their approval to share the gospel because they already are part of it. He's going to Jews who are not Christians and trying to be accepted by them so that they will listen to him. I mean, with immoral reason, without compromising your faith, and, and, and without violating loving God and loving others, why not remove every obstacle that would keep somebody from listening to you and hearing you out? And that's all Paul is doing. This isn't contrary in any kind of way to Paul the letters. Paul the letters is mad that they're requiring circumcision, not that people are actually doing it. That totally misunderstands Paul too, because why would Paul rally against something that God had commanded? Because even Paul will say, should I say something negative about the law? No, because if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known that I was a sinner and needed Jesus. The law has a purpose. The law is exactly what you take to non-believers in order to help them understand their need for Christ. And then you move them to Christ. The law is good. The law is beneficial as long as you put the law in its proper place. So Paul's never been anti any of this stuff. He just doesn't like it being added. And so this is why he does it. This is not contradictory or contradictory in any kind of way to what Paul has already done. So as they go through, they also pass on the decrees. Every Gentile they come to, they say, hey, if there were any Judaizers coming through and making you feel guilty and putting this burden on you, eh, don't worry about that. Okay, I have a letter from the council. These were stragglers or outsiders who were saying that. And they go in. And then they continue to strengthen the churches. You're going to see this over and over again. They went to the Jews and then to the Gentiles and they witnessed and shared the gospel and many converted. And then it also says, and they strengthened the churches. Conversion and discipleship. Conversion and discipleship. Hand in hand. Going on. And the numbers increased every day. Verse 6. They went through the region of Phygra and Galatia having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the providence of Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do this. So they passed through Mysia, and they went down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul during the night, and a Macedonian man was standing there urging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul saw the vision, we attempted immediately to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. This is what's interesting. Paul decides he's going to go into Asia, the heart of Asia. So you see the map of Asia, and you'll see that he will travel over the northern outskirts of Asia. And when he comes back at the end of the missionary journey, he just briefly pops into Asia on the southern coast of Ephesus, but he does not go into the center of Asia at all. And by Asia, we don't mean like Asia, like the entire continent and part of the world. By Asia, we mean that this is literally called Asia, 
a providence of the Roman Empire that was seen as completely different than the Asia that we know of China and Russia and that kind of stuff. And so this was an actual providence there. And for whatever reason, he wants to go right into it. And we don't know how. Did the Holy Spirit come to him in vision and say no? Um, did like all these wagon accidents begin to happen on the road and he couldn't get through and had to turn around? Like We don't know how, but he knows it is God saying don't go there. And we don't know why. So he says, hey, maybe I'll go northeast up into Bithynia. And he gets prevented from doing that. And then finally he has a vision of a man from Macedonia. Now Macedonia is what we know as Greece today and up in that region. And it's across the Aegean on the Hellespont Strait. And it's going into the Western world. And so he sees a Macedonian man waving him over. A lot of people have asked, how did he know he's a Macedonian? Okay, was it by the way he looked or dressed or that kind of stuff? And the simple answer is, it's a vision. He could have just known it. Like, right, you're in a dream and you're talking to somebody and it's not like somebody is like, hey, you just, you just know it. You sense it. You feel it. It's a part of the dream. And so he just knows it. Some people have said that this is probably Luke. And Luke is like, come on over here. And then he goes. But the problem is Luke appears before they get to Macedonia. Because this is the beginning of what's called the we sections. You've got to give scholars points for creativity. Okay? Because at this point, there are three we sections in the book of Acts. And that is Acts chapter 16, verses 10 through 40. Acts chapter 20, verse 5 through chapter 21, verse 18. And Acts chapter 27, verse 1 through Acts chapter 28, verse 16. And so this is the beginning of the we sections. This is where Luke, the author, joins Paul physically in his missionary travels and journeys. And that's why he begins to say, we, because he's now with them. There are a few scholars who say, no, 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 this is not Luke. And he's saying, we, did, 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 did. And it's like, when you read those arguments, you feel like you're really jumping through a lot of hoops to deny the fact of what we really truly means. We. I mean, it's not a, it's, there's, there's not an argument here on what this means. And so Luke joins them. What's also interesting is the details get way more detailed. You notice, like, he starts getting into more graphic visual details of everything. Because Luke was an investigator and a scholar, and he interviewed and talked to people. But people probably aren't going to relate to him, like what the port looked like and the exact people were there and that kind of stuff. And so he has basic understandings of things. But then now that he's on board now, he starts talking about a lot more details here. And so, and then all of a sudden the wee stops. He begins to join Paul and becomes a part of this missionary journey, which accounts for a big part of what he knows about Paul here. In verse 10 is when the wee pops on. Now, one of the things that people argue is, why doesn't Luke say, and then I joined them? And we begin to do this. I don't know. Maybe Luke doesn't want to call attention to himself. And I don't know. Maybe because Luke thought it was obvious when he used the word we. So, I don't know. We can't answer why Luke chose that word. It's just he did. So God is calling to Macedonia. And this is where he will travel in the northern part of Asia and then cross over to Macedonia. And just like Alexander the Great was one of the first people to truly cross over in the Eastern world, not the first person ever, but to bring a whole new way of thinking that would influence the Eastern world in a Hellenistic way of thinking, 
Paul is now coming from the east, traveling over into the west, that will bring a whole new form of thinking that, if you know your church history, will drastically change the way that that part of the world is going to view and think about things. Verse 11. We put out to sea from Troas, and we sailed straight course to Samothrace. Samothrace is a teeny little island. The next day, to Neapolis. Neapolis is going into actual Macedonia now. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We stayed in this city for some days. Now, Philippi was a leading. So there were Roman cities that would have Roman officials in them and be controlled by Rome. But then there were Roman colonies. And Roman colonies were given special privileges. You had to actually apply to become a Roman colony. And you had to meet certain criteria and, and donate and sacrifice to the emperor so much and pay certain taxes. And then this would give you an extra level of privileges and power and protection. And basically it would move you up the ranks big time and your, your authority. And so Philippi was a major Roman colony. And if you convert people there and have great influence, then th- th- there would be great progress made for the gospel here as um, it spread. We stayed in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate to the side of the river where we thought that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began to speak to the woman who was assembled there. Philippi was such a huge Greek colony and was so dominated by the Roman Empire and its life and its politics and the structures, the gymnasiums and temples and stuff, that Jews were very persecuted there. And so the Jewish church was, the Jewish synagogues, the Jewish people that were not Christians, the non-Jewish, the native, were so small that they didn't have a synagogue. Paul knew, probably being a Jew for a very long time, being trained by Gamaliel and the Pharisees and knowing his own history and culture and that kind of stuff, knew that they would probably be gathering at the beach on the south because they had no synagogue with themselves. So they went there to hang out on the beach to encounter the Jews who were doing the Sabbath who had no synagogue. And as he was there, he happened to meet a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Now what's interesting is Thyatira is in the middle of Asia. The very place that Paul wanted to go and he could not visit is where Lydia is from. And then he's going to witness to her and convert her. And who knows when she goes back home, how she will begin to tell her relatives and that kind of stuff there. So even though for whatever reason, we have no idea why God said, don't go there. He's still making a way there through other people. Kind of like, I am not going to be able to get into Saudi Arabia and have an effective witness. But there's lots of people from Saudi Arabia who are coming to America that I can influence and they can go back over there and have a great impact. And there are other ways to influence different parts of the world. She was a dear in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Purple cloth is super expensive, which means she is a wealthy businesswoman. The fact that she's called Lydia by her personal first name shows you her political and economic and social power and influence. Um, the only time that a woman was ever called by her first name and not like of her husband or of her father was if she was probably widowed, most likely, and if she was very prominent herself in a financial, economic kind of a way, and therefore that would give her a political, social influence. 
And in the Greek world, especially this part of the Greek world, it was not uncommon for women to have very prominent, powerful positions of influence and wealth and authority and to be, in a lot of ways, um, in the same position of a man, economically speaking. In fact, um, Rome at this time period is in the middle of their own feminist movement, a feminist movement that will get incredibly out of control eventually. And one, I'm not going to go very controversial here, but one of the reasons why Paul says, I say to the women, don't talk in the services, because most likely that's a cultural thing. Obviously, nobody believes that because we allow women to talk um, as a multi-thing. But most likely it was the feminist movement enough that they're like, hear me, talk. Okay, because I have every right to talk and that kind of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Feminist movement, great, okay? But I'm better than everybody else and we need to push you down? That's not Christian and that's not godly. And so elevating women and minorities and other people to an equal status that you are just as much of the image of God and have just as much of a voice and a value and equality as anybody else? Yes. But that now you are going to say, it's my turn now to oppress you and push you down and hear me roar? That's, that's not godly either. That's what's beginning to happen, and that's probably, without going into the whole book of Corinthians and opening, mostly kind of what that's going into in that idea. Now, I'm not saying that Lydia is part of that. I'm just using it as an example of how um, women were not as marginalized at this part and at this time of the Greek Empire as we often think of them. However, that doesn't mean they there wasn't a lot of things against them too. Okay, so I'm not... The Greek Empire was vile. And everything that is horrible about America comes from the Greeks. Sexual morality, paganism, um, our, our male chauvinistic stuff, um, our obsession with image and pride and competition, like slavery. The Persians abolished slavery. The Greeks brought it back. And there, it used to be more of an indentured bankruptcy in the ancient world. The Greeks turned into an abusive corruption thing that like we had. I mean, one almost wishes, why didn't it, the Persians just beat the crap out of the Greeks and maybe the world would be a little bit better place? So, not that the Greeks, the Persians were awesome either, but they were not like the Greeks. She had a position of influence here. She was a God-fearing woman. She listened to us, and the Lord opened her heart and responded to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, then come and stay in my house and she persuaded us. At this point, she, she's converted. A high-ranking, high-influential woman of the Greek world has come to Christ. And she is influenced. And she's going to become a major woman in the church because she's going to invite Paul into a stay and his um, companions, traveling companions, to stay with her. And they're going to stay with her for many months as this center of their kind of witnessing until they leave that part of the world. And so once again, God is using women in very powerful ways and in very influential ways in order without her, they would have had to have a different central base of some kind of way. And, and, and there's a sense of there's great worth and great value giving to give women. 